0: Hi, I'm Gweli Emanu.
1: And I'm Temi Ogunira.
0: You're welcome to In These Moments. Today's story is um, its a quite heavy story. Somebody reached out to me while we were still in pre-production. This was like the early, early days. She went ahead to tell me about uh, a story of a relationship she had that involved an incident that really typifies a lot of what we talk about when we speak about domestic violence. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month in the United States. It felt right to have this story on this episode, to have it out this month, to address a topic that I feel like many people have opinions and feelings about.
1: Okay, so actually, I have a question for you. When you first heard the story, tell me what your first reaction was. Like, what was your internal dialogue or what was the feeling so I know what to expect. I, I I really don't really know what the full story is. So I'm definitely ready to hear it. But I want to know how you felt when you first heard it.
0: When I heard it, I was shocked, of course. It made me really sad. And it made me also upset. When we hear like domestic violence situations, we usually talk about people in marriages and stuff yeah. like that. And you expect it to be like a whole drawn out process of some things. This had like one big moments that i was really like what the fuck is this Ooh. you know if this is a topic that you don't want to listen to you can stop the episode right here don't listen to it you can just not listen to this episode yeah um listener discretion is totally advised the one thing she told me when she came to tell the story she said she's never like told it to anybody like in a public space wow. but, she knew what i was doing and she i guess she really had some trust in me that i was going to be a good person to tell this to she felt like she had to let it go because she wanted to regain her power it felt good for her to finally be able to tell it Mm. and i felt like the story means a lot to her and her being okay and being able to talk about it to me, it's one of those things that somebody gives you something that's really important to them and you're thinking, okay, I have to find the best way to handle this so I can perfectly portray what they're trying to tell.
1: And I think that's what we really want to, wanted to do with this podcast, that there's something powerful about being able to own your story and being able to tell it, you know, and we can just hope that we're we're doing our best to aid in that. Yeah, right? Absolutely.
0: So um, we're going to go into Shayo's story.
2: My name is Shayo Bakare. I'm in consulting, I do government contracting, and I've been doing that now for about nine years. I was born in eastern New Jersey, but spent a good part of my life in Wari. My dad and my mom moved here for college back in the 70s. And when they had my brothers and I, my dad actually got a great job working for Shell. So he, first of all, moved back to Nigeria. And then after he got settled and everything, he sent for us. So when I was 10, I moved to Nigeria. And to be honest with you, the initial culture shock wasn't that much because... We moved into like the Shell Estate, fully gated community. You have Caucasian neighbors, 24 hour is a daylight. You know, it wasn't really that big of a deal. But when I went to school, <laughs> that was when I think the major culture, you know, shock kind of hit me. But I loved it. I think it really made me who I am today. I, I definitely do love the fact that oh, I attribute my street, my street smarts to, you know, spending that eight, nine years in Nigeria. When I started school in Nigeria, I think that was like for the very first time, that was when I really felt the need to try to fit in. Of course, with like my accent and everything, you know, the speed in which I learned how to speak in English, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be that, you know, that person who, you know, she thinks she's better than us kind of thing. So there was that pressure, that immediate pressure to try to fit in. The other thing about it, too, was that my mom wasn't really around because my brother stayed back in the States, so she kind of was in and out. So I had to grow up really fast, to kind of become like the, the woman of the house, if you will. I spent eight years. I started primary five and I went all the way to SS3. When it was actually time to come back to the States, I didn't even know I was coming back. So I had like a little boyfriend. I was dating at the time and my parents were just like, oh, we're just going to go to Lagos for holiday. So, you know, just pack a few things, they're going to Lagos. Next thing I know, entered Lagos. They were like, oh, let's just go and renew your passport at the embassy. Okay, we passport at the embassy. Next thing I know, mommy was like, oh, we're going to America tomorrow. My first, you know, quote unquote, serious relationship, not that I knew what the hell I was doing at 14, you know, I started dating a guy in my estate at 14. That was like my first major kiss, my first major everything. And, you know, when I moved back to America, it was just weird because here I am with this guy that we had already said, we're going to get married, that we're going to, you know, we already had names for our kids and all that. And I moved to America and I didn't even get a chance to say bye to the boy. I wonder where he is today. That relationship, though, you know, at a young age was my first real definition of, oh, this guy really likes me. The feeling was mutual. It wasn't one of those things where, you know how it is, where the guy's liking the girl more. It was really mutual, like, dude, meet me at the back of here and here and here at so-and-so time. I would just sit down and talk and, geez, yeah. I found the switch back to America very difficult because I felt super lost. Number one, I didn't have time to plan mentally to move back, especially when I, you know, how parents do their things, right? They, they give information to their kids based on a needs to no type of basis. So here I am thinking, okay, just graduated from school, no plans for college. I didn't apply to any colleges because I didn't know I was coming. And then the other part about it, too, is the life that I lived in Nigeria was, I would say, a wealthy lifestyle. Coming to America was like a whole different thing, right? Nigel, there's driver, there's this, there's that. As soon as I came to America, everything was just kind of like, uh, I got to get on a bus. And so that that culture shock was there. So the first thing I did was I got a job. I waited tables. We actually lived in New Jersey. I think my mom just didn't like the area, the neighborhood. And so again, you know, they came up with this other plan, you know, without kind of telling me, which I'm so happy about because I do think and believe that my path was different because of, you know, my mom kind of sending me to live with my aunt in here in Maryland, which is now where I reside. So here I am city girl, you know, in Jersey. And the next thing I'm thrown into the suburbs of Maryland and I'm like, WTF, what is this? And so from there, I enrolled in a local community college.
0: While in Maryland, Shaya worked and saved up to pay her way through college it was there she met her second boyfriend who would go on to play a huge role in this story
2: i met him on campus i was walking to my car and he was kind of standing right outside of the of the computer lab i'm walking by him you know I don't really expect for him to say anything but like as I was walking by he was like hey excuse me you know and he started walking behind me and in my mind I'm like ah this fine guy is talking to me you know (laughs) that kind of thing right and so he followed me to my car and he was like oh do you go here and we just kind of struck up a conversation and then of course I didn't have a cell phone Because that was, what, early 2000s. So I think I gave him my aunt's home phone number. And that was how we, we started seeing each other. He was Nigerian. Um He was Nigerian. I think that was another thing that really excited me about, you know, him being interested in me and the whole prospect of, you know, dating a Nigerian in America, right? So just coming back from Nigeria and being around Nigerian guys and, you know, it was kind of like, oh, you know, this Nigerian guy is interested in me. And I mean, in that 18, 19 or what have you, you are impressionable. Like now, in my older age, if there's a really hot guy interested in me, I'm like, oh, okay, now we need find we go chop. There's more to find that. But back then, I'm like, ah. Ah, this guy is fine you know i better you know make myself available i better you know show this guy attention so he doesn't you know look elsewhere type of thing things progress really quickly i can't even remember there being a a dating period if you will you know we are we're going to the movies or we're studying we're hanging out the computer lab or staying late you know after school to talk or i mean how much money did we have then with him that was so different from any of the relationships that I've ever been in before. Now that I look back, even at a young age, it was so weird. And even though we were, we were very close in age, I felt like there was this, um, it wasn't a friendly friendship type relationship. It was more so like a, you need to respect me kind of relationship. It was very weird and odd. It felt like we were back in like the 19, I don't even know, 20s or something, where, you know, man is like sitting on an armchair and a woman is, you know, kind of like just, I, I don't want to, you know, speak out of term, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. It just didn't feel like a modern day relationship. I don't think I realized how bad it was at the time. It was just the thing that I was in as the... Weeks and the months progressed, I could feel the relationship become more toxic and more toxic and more toxic. You know, initially, the controlling nature of the relationship had a mask on it. The mask was, oh, he really just loves me and he really just cares about me. And that's why he's double and triple checking the time that I got home because he wants to make sure that I'm safe. You know, and there's a thin line between. You know, wanting to make sure that the person you love is safe and trying to control her and make sure that, you know, and that jealousy thing, right? There's a really thin line between that. So that mask for me, you know, was, oh, you know, anything that he did or said that was that crossed the line, it was, oh, you know, he just loves me. And, oh, you know, that's just how he is. If we get into an argument, for example, he would say things like, bitch and this and that. You know, when you get into an argument with your significant other and they start calling you out of your name. For me, ding, 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 that should have been the first sign. But it wasn't. It was, you know, he was just angry. That's why he said that. He was just this. That's why That's why he did that. We continue that push and pull type of toxic relationship relationship. Uh, I would say we were together for about a year and a half. And I think where things came to a head was when he was dropping me off at school. I don't even remember how we started talking about this, but I was telling him about the story about, you know, my mom yanking me from Nigeria that "Ah, they knew you would tell somebody that they were coming. I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to my boyfriend, you know, just kind of ha ha ha. And I noticed, you know, that he wasn't ha 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 with me. So in my mind, I'm like, well, let me just shut up.
0: Here's the incident that changed everything.
2: So I got to school, I had all my classes. You know, back then who had personal laptop? Nobody, right? You had to go to your compu- to the computer lab to do your papers, to do your homework, anything computer related, you had to go to the school's computer lab to complete it. And of course, also check your email. So I checked my email that afternoon and I get an email from my ex in Nigeria, quote unquote. And the email read something like, oh, hi, Shayo, You know, I've been thinking about you. I just wanted to, you know, see how you're doing let you know that I haven't forgotten about you. I still love you. And, you know, I just wonder if maybe you can send for me to come from Nigeria so that we can be together. And when that happened, all the hairs on my body stood up, right? Because it just seemed so unlikely that number one, This quote-unquote boyfriend that I hadn't heard from in, what, three, two, three years, didn't know where I was, didn't know anything about me, didn't have access to my email address. You know, how could it be? And plus, I was just talking to, you know, my then boyfriend about it. My wafi brain was like, ah. Something is up. So I responded and was like, oh, you know, hey, really nice to hear from you. I hope you're doing well. But I'm in a relationship right now. You know, I hope everything is, you know, with you as well. And, you know, take care. Something to the effect of that. And I just closed the email, but I was so scared. Like, is it that this guy is trying to test me or what? Fast forward to the evening, my boyfriend came to pick me up. And when I got into the car, oh, hey, you know, how are you? I could tell that the vibe and the mood was real off. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, what did I do? What's going on? I get in the passenger seat. I sit down, you know, and we're driving and he's quiet. And then he says, um, so how was school today? Good. So did anything happen in school that you want to talk about? I'm like, uh, no. And before I could even think or blink, this dude punched me, closed fist, dead in my eye. My left eye just punched me like from his left hand to my just across and just punched me and you know how like with what is it tom and jerry where you know if tom gets hit or jerry gets hit and you see like the stars that was literally what i saw i saw stars and he just started yelling don't fucking lie to me don't lie to me what what do you mean nothing happened today don't fucking lie to me and i'm like what are you talking about honestly between that point in time to the car ride to my house, I don't remember what happened. I sunk into the passenger side door, kind of like just bracing myself for any additional or follow-up impact, thinking, is the guy gonna hit me again? Like, and then I think what really came over me at that time was shame. I can't believe I'm in this situation. How did I, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? T- you know, how did I get here? So I walked into the house, walked upstairs to my room, and I just I slept, I crashed. And the following morning when I woke up, I didn't have any vision out of my left eye. I couldn't see. So I'm like, okay, maybe it will heal. It was swollen, it was super swollen. My aunt saw me the following morning and she was like, ah, Alicia, what happened to you? Ah. I do yeah, you know, I was as I was walking, I saw made up one stupid lie. That like the lie itself not even gets. <laughs> I mean, the lie was just dumb. Oh, somebody, I bumped into somebody, and somebody hit me in the face with the door. Okay, hello, and I kind of just went on my way. And at the time, I worked part time at Macy's, and I remembered that there was um like a lens crafters, you know, those people that that do glasses or whatever. So that afternoon, I went to LensCrafters so they could just take a look at my eye just to make sure. And when I sat in the chair, I'll never forget. The optometrist was like, you need to have surgery immediately or you're going to lose the vision in your left eye. I was like, what? He's like, you need to have surgery. Your lens that allows light to pass through your eye for your vision has been busted into two pretty much split into two. And if you don't have surgery, you're going to lose your vision. So here I am at 20, 21 years old. I didn't have any health insurance. I need to have surgery, right? And this is, have, I've always had poor vision. I've always worn glasses. I've worn glasses since I was about five, six years old. So here I am with a busted lens, needing to have surgery. He says, you know, there's a, there's a doctor in Virginia who takes Medicaid and I can have you go to him so that he can take a look and maybe he can work something out. Dr. Evan Garcia, wherever you are, I bless you, sir, I love you, sir, I'll never forget you. He did my surgery, I didn't pay a dime, but it was an awful period because through having to go to the doctors and everything, guess who was taking me? He was the one taking me. He never apologized, he never apologized. He never showed any remorse or anything. He had to take me around. I had to have, you know, my pre-surgery stuff, you know, the blood drawn, just to make sure that I'm fit for surgery. All that he had to be the one to drive me around because I couldn't, I couldn't drive, I couldn't see. And, you know, from that point on till now, I have had additional eye surgeries. I've had additional things happen with my vision, and it's just a messed up situation all around. My second brother, we are so close, and you know, he's changed now. He's a different man. He's a father now, but back then he was kind of in the streets. And when this happened, you know, and I kind of told him that, oh, you know, something happened to me. And he never liked, you know, my then boyfriend. He just, they just, they, he just, you know, didn't like him. So I remember he called me and was like, oh, yo, Ski. He, um, My nickname growing up was Ski. Hey, yo, Ski, um, I need you to tell me the truth. Like, you know, did so-and-so do this to you? Because I could be down there two hours. Just tell me the truth. And I mean, I was so scared that if my brother should handle this guy. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be another, well, is another thing I'm going to be dealing with. And I just, I lied. Even till today, I just lied all through that. Nah, nah, you, you know, the door, you know, hit me in my face. She
0: spoke about how long it took her to leave the relationship.
2: What was crazy about that is I still didn't break up with him at that point in time. It still took me about, I want to say, two or three more months And I think that is the part of it all that really, like, makes me just say, Shara, really? Like, after all of that, two, three months? But it's given me an understanding for women that have been with men for so many years, and they just don't leave. I feel like people are very confused when they hear about women who have been with men for years and years, and they've suffered abuse. It's not easy to walk away from your abuser. And we weren't even married. But it was really difficult to walk away. I actually started going to this new church. That was actually, I would say, honestly, how I kind of got away from him. Because I found this new church, and in it, I found a different type of Nigerian young people who were... Cause then I was still waiting tables. I wasn't, I wasn't really doing much. I was taking like one class here, another class there, but I, I really didn't have like set goals of, Oh, I want to be a this or, Oh, I want to be a that. Right. And so when I found this new church, I just found a new community and, you know, I can sit up here and say, Oh, you know, God pulled me out maybe in his way he did. But when I found this new click, these, this new set of friends, this new way of life, I guess I didn't need his love anymore. I didn't need what I thought I I needed from him so much. I was getting it from a new set of folks. And that was how I was able to break away from him. And it was so crazy because when I broke up with him, he thought I was kidding. He thought I was joking. He was like, oh, whatever, you know, I'll come back to, I'll come by tomorrow to hang out. And he came by, I didn't, I didn't open the door. He just stopped calling, stopped coming by. And that was kind of how we, we really, really, how I really broke up with him. I've seen him once or twice since after the situation or since after our relationship. And I think, I think he still lives local. I saw him at a club like maybe five or six years ago and he walked by me and he said hello. And I just kind of like gave him a head nod or whatever. And I was with my now husband, but then we were still dating. And, you know, he kind of was just respectfully moved along. And then I saw him again at like another random party or whatever and we didn't speak or, you know, what have you. But yeah, I've seen him, seen him around.
0: I asked her if that experience affected the way things were in other relationships. And she gave me an example of how it still affects her sometimes.
2: I'm sure that that relationship did have an effect on me. One of the ways that it has affected me is like even with my now husband, like if we're having an argument, sometimes I'll just like really pop off. He would be looking at me like, "What? What is wrong with you?" Like, it's not really that serious. But in in the back of my mind, sometimes I'm like, "You are not about to try to be abusive." You know, I won't say it out, but sometimes I'll think about it. Maybe that's the only effect. Kind of have like the reverse, right? Where it's not that I'm afraid. Not that I've been afraid of any of the guys I dated after him. It was more so of, I will never be in this situation again. Like, I would rather kill you first Mm -hmm. before, you you know, And I let another guy put his hands on me. Sometimes I'll just go like from zero to like 300 because Mm -hmm. it's like before you try to pop off, I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to let you know that that you will not... (laughs) You would not, you know, abuse me. I remember one time I, my husband and I were having an argument, and I said that I would not let you abuse me. You should have seen the way he looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> oh, God bless his soul for dealing with me. The the bitterness and the resentment though comes with the issues that I have with my vision. And I think that's more than enough. The struggles that I've had with my vision, with almost losing vision in my left eye um, and having to endure multiple surgeries as a result of of that incident is where I think I've probably put the most of my energy. And I think in my mind, I'm like, I'm already giving enough you of that, what happened to me in the past and kind of dealing with my eye issues. I'm not about to take that into my relationships.
0: In conclusion, I asked Shia if she could sit down and ask him anything, what would that be?
2: I would ask him, who hurt you that made you hurt me? When all I did was love you. You know, what, what is it that made you treat me in that way? And, and what is it that made you feel like it was right to put your hands on me? I would hope that he has gotten the help that he needs. And I know some folks might be listening to me and they may be like, this girl is crazy. Like, I would curse him out, I would hit him, I would, nah. I feel sorry for him. Giving him any more of me, even giving him any anger for me, he doesn't deserve that.
0: So what do you think about the story?
1: Ooh, where do I start? I, okay. So in the beginning, she talks about the signs and how she misinterpreted them as him really, really loving her. And it took me back to like high school. Like I had friends in high school who were in abusive type relationships like people would tell their partners or their boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever, oh, I'm going to so-so-and-so place. There was this like emphasis on keeping tabs and mm-hmm. your man keeping tabs on you and how that was somehow indicative of love. And I'm, I'm realizing how many of us had such a shitty foundation of what romantic love was supposed to look like. And I mean, obviously it's not her fault, but I'm just hoping that this generation that we, we have moved or we're moving away from that. You know, from from this mentality that someone keeping tabs on you and someone being on you all the time. You know, there's a difference between care and love, and and I think it's it's unfortunate that so many of us don't know what that what that line is.
0: And I think it's easy to talk about it from outside, but a lot of the time, once you're in the situation it's very easy to not see things clearly you know a lot of what relationships are and why sometimes it's a bit harder to spot things is you're not just looking at the relationship from the idea of them as a person sometimes you look at it also from the idea of what you think they are in your head yeah or what Mm. they could be so you have this picture of what you see them as at their best and sometimes that kind of clouds what really is i think in this case this was probably one of those that's one thing about this story that really stood out to me because it is one incident of physical abuse it is not a series of physical attacks or
1: there was emotional attacks exactly yeah.
0: there were the emotional and i think sometimes the idea of somebody leaving somebody after just one experience It's kind of weird to some people because they think, oh, maybe the person was just mad, you know, this, this, this. You know, they're going to do their best to play it down. I'm still happy for her that this didn't happen with kids and marriage. She said she found it hard to leave. She had to stay like three months after that. Imagine how long it could have taken her, you know, dealing with kids. Now you're thinking, oh, if I leave, what's going to happen with the kids, custody battles and all this. It's one thing that we have to understand that somebody doesn't have to continuously physically assault you. The moment one happens, you need to be looking at a way to get out of that. Because the truth is, once somebody does it once, they are probably going to do it again.
1: You know, I heard someone once say that a man who yells at you because she talks about how um whenever they would argue, he would call her the b-word and stuff like that. And I heard someone once say that a man who yells at you is a man who is likely to put hands on you. And and their rationale was oftentimes when men are talking to other men or when they escalate like that and when they start yelling, you know, they're ready to fight. Like it's a you're, you know you're not going to be doing that with a man unless you're ready to mm, go there. Mm. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think even her talking about taking her time to leave or or not leaving immediately, it happened. I think what you said is true about sometimes being more in love or in like with the idea of a person than who they're showing themselves to be. But I think that, you know, initially, one thing we forget is that initially things don't start off abusive, you know? Yeah, yeah. Initially things don't start off like that you start off you meet someone that you think you guys click you think you guys have this connection and it is that very thing that they actually bank on. And you're just left there confused because somewhere in your mind, you're still waiting for that person, that person that you initially met, the person that made you feel good and made you feel all of these warm feelings. You're like, no, surely that person is still there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially with women, we're, we're taught to look at our worth through our relationships with men. And so you think that hopefully you can get them back to that place. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people get lost in that space. Another thing I want to talk about is her feeling shame. You know, what did you think about that?
0: Yeah, um, shame is one of those topics that makes me laugh a lot because when you look at the concept of shame that we have, it's actually quite interesting the way we, we process shame. Shame is the reason why you're scared to try. Shame is the reason why the the big (laughs) idea you have, you're scared that I don't want to do this because if it fails, I'm going to be looked at somehow. Shame is the reason why you're afraid to shoot a shot at somebody you like. You know, just this relationship we have with shame is quite interesting. Abusive people are able to do a lot of the things they do because they understand the concept of shame.
1: Yeah. Like how. And and be, and sorry to cut you off. I was gonna say it before I forget. And more importantly, that they're often not at the receiving end exactly. of it. Exactly. I mean, they know that you're going to blame yourself, and that society oftentimes blames exactly. you as well.
0: Exactly. So it's kind of like, yeah, sure, go tell people whatever. You can go ahead and say what you want to say, but. At the end of the day the most people are going to look at me is oh you shouldn't have done that but they know that people are still gonna be judgmental when it comes to you so for them it is something they use to manipulate and keep people where they feel like they should be there are guides to help women that are trying to leave if you're listening to this and you're looking to leave an abusive relationship and you're trying to get help um there are guides online that tell you what to do Whether it's having an emergency bag for the day you decide to leave, whether it's having a certain amount of money that you saved in a place where only you can have access to, whatever it is. There are guides to help you in case you just decide, you know what, today's the day. And I'm happy that these things are out there for for people to look into now. and, um, And yeah.
1: You're you're absolutely right. Even with leaving, I I was recently reading an article actually last week and a a couple of women were sharing their accounts on trying to leave. And I remember this woman in particular whose husband actually was a cop. And this is not an uncommon thing, by the way, you guys. Like domestic violence is high amongst um. Like cops and police officers and stuff like that. In all of these women's stories, if you see the level of planning that they had to do, I mean, they had to like shut, there was a woman who was the breadwinner and she had to go and get a secret account, a uh, one that her husband would not be able to trace. They had to live in shelters and move around from family to family because they knew that this man was gonna trace them. Wow. There are some crazy, yes, like it- it's really difficult. And then, like you said, you add children. that mix and it becomes even more difficult and i think even aside from all that believe it or not (laughs) but people happen to love people and and it's almost like when you're in a relationship for example with someone who cheats on you the fact that that person has cheated on you doesn't make you automatically stop loving them right you can essentially make the decision to stay or leave but that love is still there you know what i mean
0: don't cheat by the way go ahead shut up
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> but like you know that love is still there and I think that sometimes that's what a lot of people sit in you know looking from the outside in that's what they're they're looking at this is a conversation that i'm seeing more and more kind of surface which is how do we help women or how do we help people in abusive relationships deal with the fact that they genuinely miss these people because you have to remember it's not you know it's not always turmoil it's not always a battle someone even said recently that people are in abusive relationship with their parents let's be Mm -hmm. honest why don't you? You know, why don't you leave? You understand the the concept of loving someone and wanting things to be right, and not seeing that, and and just hoping that somehow, you know, their mind changes, or somehow the person that you fell in love with resurfaces, and it's a very difficult thing to be able to get out of. I mean, women leave, and sometimes even call or reach back out to their abusive ex yes, yes, You know what yes. I mean? Those are very, very real things, and I think in order for us to talk about this and for to really be placed where it belongs which is in the hands of the perpetrator then all of these nuances are things that we also have to accept i also really wanted to talk about her finding love in a community i thought that was that was beautiful and refreshing (laughs) did you know how critical me and you often are of religion and and you know the church or whatever you want to say but I thought it was really and she I thought it was also funny that she said she said something about not knowing exactly if she could say it was God but you know it maybe was God and that she found you know just being exposed to a different set of people a different group and finding love in that community pulled her out and I want to say I've been just from reading up on depression and and knowing and experiencing it um I I have seen that one of the reasons one of the big reasons why a lot of people are now falling into depression and why a lot of people are so estranged is that there is no longer that sense of community where we're becoming an increasingly capitalist world and with that comes individualism mm. and one of the the ways in which therapists are Just psychologists have said to combat that is to surround yourself with a tribe, with a community. And I think that love comes in so many different forms. Making sure that you have a community can sometimes really, really go a long way.
0: Absolutely. If you're out there and you're going through an abusive relationship, if you're in the United States, the number to call is one 800 799 7233 that's 1-800-799-7233 wherever you are in the world you can google the domestic violence hotlines it's becoming more common in different countries i'm sure it's a conversation that's gonna be had on some level again but it was just important that we had this episode up in this month to have this conversation and um, put this as something to discuss but um yeah, this was, a, this was a good episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed the story, even though it was quite hard to listen to at some points. Let us know what you think. Send us messages with the hashtag in these moments or in these moments pod. This is episode nine. We're going to have the last story of the season in two weeks. The episode after that, which is going to be the final episode for the season is going to be a season recap where we talk about our favorite stories some of the behind the scenes stories from the season we're finally going to read out all the messages that people have sent we're going to um read out the reviews and we're going to have different discussions on the episode thank you so much for listening you can find us on twitter at moments pod you can find us on instagram at in these moments pod you can find me on Twitter at King, has, K-I-N-G-W-O-L-E. And you can find Timmy at?
1: You can find me at Timmy Nero on Instagram and on Twitter. It is Timmy underscore Nero. All
0: right. So um, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you in two weeks for our next episode. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs>